through it and uh, really deconstructing his own belief system in, in a healthy way. And, and um, so when I say this next line, this is not me judging, so please do not like come at me. Um, but uh, raised in, in, in an uh, independent uh, fundamentalist Baptist church, uh, and if you know anything about them, they're, they're like really, 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 really strict as far as what they believe. Um, so like they don't, they, they, they don't even allow anybody to read outside of the, uh, what is it, the 1666 King James or 1866 King, or I think it's 1666 King James uh, uh, Bible. Like there is no other belief, there is no other translation than that one. Um, and, and so he's been walking through this transition in his life where he's like, wait a minute, I've been told my whole life that's the only translation of the Bible, and I'm starting to question, like, and, and this was five years ago when he started to even question that, like, why, right? Because he's been told that his whole life. And how many times have we been told something or we've heard a Christian say something, we go, that sounds off. That doesn't sound right. But then we're like, well, they got to know what they're talking about. They, they're, they've been a Christian longer than me. And so then we attach that to ourselves and we never challenge it. We never question it. And we never take it to the Bible uh, and ask God to reveal things to us. Listen to me. I will be very, very, very clear with this. If the Bible doesn't say it, don't just believe it. Okay? If the Bible doesn't say it, don't just believe it. Because a lot of pastors, even in good intention, will say things that will get an emotional... Listen, can I tell you, pastors are really good at talking. We are. It's, we got the gift of gab, and, but we've got to use it for more than just filling it with, uh, with noise. I had somebody showing me a clip of a pastor, and I didn't want to offend them in person. But I was like, ah, that's not us. I will never preach things like that. Because the, pro the moment we start preaching a, a prosperity gospel, what happens when you don't get prosperous? When we start preaching that God always heals, what happens when you don't get healed? When, when, we, when we preach that good, okay, so, okay I'm going to step on some toes. Um, and this is, listen, this is all free for you, okay? This isn't even the intro. I've been thinking about this song that Caleb plays by Torrin Wells. Now, I love Torrin Wells. Do not at me, okay? Listen, I know some of you are already offended. You don't even know what I'm going to say, okay? I love Torrin Wells, too. I think most of his songs are really, really good. But um, there's a song that I've been hearing, and, and I started singing. I'm going, I don't, I don't believe these words. They don't sit well with me. And it's where he says, if it's not good, then it's not done yet. I'm going, well, wait a minute. Is that biblical or does that just sound good? Because we all want to believe that, right? We all want to believe that, that at the end, good is for all of us. And we may go, well, wait a minute, Pastor. The Bible does say that, that, that you know, he, God's goodness, is for those who love him. But what is his good? Does it look like our good? Does it mean riches and in, 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 in glory on earth? Does it mean that you get the healing here on earth? Does it mean that, that all of the things that you want to happen, happen? Or can I submit to you that the goodness of God means that he is glorified through our lives no matter what we walk through? That you can die of cancer and still glorify God with your life. My friend Joe, she's a girl, by the way, was an amazing woman. Her husband, Brian, they've been married, they were married for a ridiculous amount of years. 
Do we have a rhyme or a reason or an answer for it? No, not on earth. But I know the goodness that, that God created good in her life. Now, it doesn't sound like it, doesn't look like it because she ended up dying, but she loved Jesus, so she ended up in eternity with him. So when we look at and we hear those kind of things, we have to see it through the lens of, is it, is it earthly good or eternal good? Now, those words from Tornwells absolutely can be true if that's the perspective in which we see it. If it's not good, then he's not done. You're right. But I may, listen, the book of Hebrews says that many died without seeing the promise and yet were faithful to the end without seeing the finished product. So when, when I look at this, when I, and I just want to encourage you, this is why I say it's so important for us to, to break down and understand what God is speaking to us. Not that it just sounds good, but that it rings truth the Bible lens through, through Jesus's viewpoint of what our lives should look like. Not just, well, geez, it sounds good, not just, well, I, I, want, the, I want the fluffy feelings of, of spirituality in me. But what if God told you the next 30 years of your life are going to look like hell? I preach, preacher? Come on. Some, <laughs> it does, that, doesn't, that is not something you want your pastor to say to you. What if, what, if, what if God spoke to you in the middle of the night and said, listen to me? You're about to walk through the toughest season you have ever walked through. And it's going to look like the darkest valley you've ever entered. But here's what I promise. I'm with you in that season. Would you still trust him? Would you still be able to sing? If it's, if it's not good, he's not done. Would you, would you be Job? I mean, imagine what Job went through, right? You know, he had broken pots. He didn't even have a, like a good knife. Jagged knife uh, uh, pottery, literally like ripping boils off of his skin. Is that good? So we would not want to speak. We would not want to preach on Job because where does that fit in our theology then if God only produces good? But the good is, is that he's weeding out the things that don't look like him. He's weeding out the, the, the mindset and the attitude so that we can line up with him so that we can even go through the worst of our life and honor him and worship him and know that he does have us. He has never forsaken us. He'll never leave us. And he loves us. Maybe I should just put this up. <laughs> Listen, 2 Timothy 2.15 it's been the scripture that we've been relying on through this whole time. And this is why it's so important, the whole thing that I've been talking about. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Why? A worker who needs to be not ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Some of y'all's Bibles haven't been cracked open in a minute. Not looking at anybody because I don't know your personal lives. But can I tell you that even just five minutes in the word can absolutely radically change your life? Radically. We, we think that to show ourselves approved means that every time we pick it up, that we've got to spend many, 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 many hours in this. Can I tell you that can actually be a disjustice to you? That when you read too much, you don't process it in a, in, in a, in a way that actually is going to be able to apply to your life? 
Maybe you just need to sit and, and, and soak in on one verse, one chapter or a couple of verses. Do, doing a devotion, let's, um, and, and listen, I, what I'm about to say, I do not want y'all to get offended or come up to give me your excuses. This is, I am not saying this um, to get you to come up to talk to me afterwards, okay? Can I just lay that out there? Can we all agree that, okay? Um, we did prayer this last week. I had one couple show up the whole week. Now, granted, I did have somebody say, maybe next time started at like 6 p.m. <laughs> I get that. We can live and learn and, 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 and maybe change the uh, times the next time we do a week of prayer. And can I tell you, I wish y'all would have been here. Can I tell you that you missed out? <laughs> And I'm not trying to be judgment. Like, this is not me. I don't, listen, uh, this even sounds worse. I don't care if you showed up or not because it wasn't about what I want. God told me, take two weeks and open up the church for prayer and then end with a worship night. I'm being obedient. So between you and God, I don't know what he was telling. That's why I said, I don't need you there every day, but even just one day, Maybe that day was for you. Now, listen, this is not, if it convicts you, that's between you and God. I, hear me out. I love you. Each and every one of you, I love you. But what I'm, what I'm saying is, is that how can we want the most from God? You know what my, okay, um, really, I don't know. Okay, God, maybe you just had me write this message for no reason. It comes back to the point. Listen, my theme today is counting the cost. And the passionate part of me is this, is that how can we sit here and say we want more of God, but then when the opportunities arise, we're like, well, but God, I'm busy. But God, don't you know this? Yes, he did. And the enemy did too. And he knew that, that, he was, that, that there was going to be an internal uh, uh, weighing and pulling of will the church arise or not? And once again, like I said, this is not from a critical, judgmental standpoint. I love you. I believe that y'all would go to the ends of the earth for the church. But my question is always going to be to encourage you and to challenge you to pull more out of what God has for you. You all have a purpose. Every last one of you in here have a purpose. And it is not just to sit in the seat on Sunday. And maybe it is to pick up a hammer and be a part of the, the maintenance uh, team here at, at, at Freedom because there's always a project. And maybe it is to stand at the door and greet, and maybe it is with kids, and maybe it is with uh, teenagers, and, and, and maybe it is on the worship or in the back with media. Listen, by the way, we have some spots that we need to fill if, if you want to get in on that. We've got a couple of media spots that, that, that we still want to fill. We've got a couple of greeting spots that we need to fill. So this is me telling you that if you want to find a place and a space where you can feel like you're a part of the church, but it goes beyond what we do on Sunday mornings. Do we count the cost and are we rightfully handling the, the, the time and space that God has given us? Part of any building project is counting the cost. Any of my general contractor, uh, uh, project manager, uh, tradesmen, they would know. You don't just go in blindly to a project. How much is it going to cost? Oh, I don't know. Oh, 50 bucks. And then you end up spending 200 on, on materials. 
You, you may not sit down and, you know, some of you are OCD and, and so you'll nitpick down to the penny, okay? Some of you, you just kind of have a, an idea. I know that my material is going to cost about this much and my labor is worth this much. And I know that I'm going to come out on the, the good end of it because I know how to, 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 to project, project a, a cost for this, for, for this material and for my time. And there's no more important of a building project than your personal faith and your personal life. What good is a foundation if we don't finish the project? What good is going to church for two years if at the end of the day you walk away because you didn't really count the cost? What, what good is, is, is you know, um, I've really gotten into watching this, this guy on Facebook, his, his little uh, reels and, uh, where he goes on to colleges and he, he doesn't argue, he just goes... Hey, if you got a question, let's, let's talk about it. And most of the time, you got like these super atheists or um, uh, liberal-leaning liberal uh, um, philosophy people coming up and going, well, if God is, and then, and then he just breaks, like, he is so cool, calm, and collective. He never makes it personal. He just cool, calm, and collective goes, okay, if that's the case, then what about this and this? And he's super smart. Um, and I'm just like, yeah, get it. Because he wants people, like his whole thought process is if you're going to make a decision, make a decision for the rest of your life. Don't just somewhat kind of sort of, because listen, Christianity is boring and it will be overweighty and it will get to the point where it is rules and regulations than a relationship if it's not counting the cost of saying this is who I want to be. So I'm going to have to condense this, but let's, uh, we're, we're, we have to read Luke 14 because it is the foundation for what uh, this is about. Luke 14, we're going to read verses 25 through 33, and it says this, a large crowd was following Jesus. <laughs> I love Jesus for this kind of stuff right here. Jesus is building a mega church on earth. A large crowd was following him, Right? And he turns around and he says to them, before you go, hold on, go back, just go back. He turns around and he says to them, we need to build a new building. And the goodness of God is in you. And the sweetness of his aroma is filling his temple. And all of you are going to put your hands to the plow and you're going to become millionaires. Look at what Jesus says to them. If you want to be my disciples, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father and mother, your wife and children, your brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. He missed the how to build a mega church seminar. That's not how you do it. You don't walk into a, he's got a group that's following him. They're like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And he turns to them and he says, if you want to follow me, then the love you feel for everybody else should look like hatred. Could you imagine the guy standing next to his wife going, Ooh, Jesus, you don't have to go home with her. <laughs> Jesus, I love you, just not as much as Jesus. Like, that doesn't go well in any sentence until the, until the wife gets it. I, I want to do a relationship series this year that talks about biblical perspective of relationships because we expect this perfect relationship loving Jesus and then that's why we end up in divorces because we are measuring our spouse based off of what we think perfect Christianity looks like 
instead of realizing and having honor and grace for their mistakes, but also challenging each other to be better. He says, listen, what, what, what it looks like. You may love them to death. You may, you may put your life on the line, but it better look like hate compared to how much you love me. Listen, he doesn't stop there. And, and if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Listen, Jesus hadn't gone to the cross yet. So here's what they viewed the cross as, the electric chair. It's where murderers and rapists and the worst of the worst went. And here is Jesus speaking to him. He says, listen, first of all, the love that you have for everybody else should look like hatred compared to me. And secondly, you better carry your electric chair. Could you imagine what's running through their brains? Like, could you imagine what the disciples are doing? Jesus, oh, he's lost his freaking rocker. What are we going to do with him? Somebody take the mic away from Jesus. Peter, it's your turn. Like, like you know what I mean? Like, what? what is Jesus doing? And he's like, listen, if you don't carry your own cross, you, you can't be my disciple. It continues to go. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Keep going. It will go all the way to the end now. Otherwise, you must complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. This is the gauntlet that Jesus lays down to everybody that will come after him to follow him. So my question to you today, my challenge to you today, have we counted the cost? I think sometimes we take every story and we make it about us. Jesus is not asking you to sell everything and give it to the church or give it to the poor. Unless he has specifically told you to sell everything and give it to the church and give it to the poor. He is not asking you to become a missionary unless he is asking you to become a missionary. So when we make these statements, we automatically go into, well, maybe, I'm, maybe I have to become into full-time ministry, or maybe your full-time ministry is at your work and in your family. And Jesus is saying, it's time to step up and count the cost and ask, what is your life valued at? It's okay to have fun. It's okay to, the Bible's very clear about joy and, and all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, do we consider that more important than living for Jesus? Robert Goddard says this, the reason many people fall is not for lack of vision, but for lack of resolve. And resolve is born out of counting the cost. Oh, we all can dream dreams. We all can say, this is, I mean, think about it. Every kid, never, no, I've never heard a kid say, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a janitor. There's nothing wrong with being a janitor, by the way. But I've never heard a kid say that, right? It's like, I want to be the president. <laughs> Sorry, kid, you don't want to be the president. I promise you, it's not like George Washington. 
I want to be, you know, and they, and they think of these, these things that the world has already told them at five and six years old that are valuable and important. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a teacher. I want to be a police officer, which, by the way, many kids are not saying that either. Um, or the next common thing is they'll say whatever their parents are because we, we start to love and want to become what they are. My question becomes, beyond the dreaming phase and the reality phase, do you have the resolve to get there? I want to live for Jesus. Well, what does that look like to you? I want, to, I, want to, I want to carry the banner of Christianity in my life. I want to, I want to honor and I want to live in a way that, that shows God's glory to this world. Okay, great dream. How do you get there? Because all, if all it is is a dream, you won't have the resolve to live it out and get there. Because the moment that you're faced with confrontation, you will go, is it worth it? If you haven't counted the cost, the answer will always be no. I once had a pastor tell me this. If you have a plan B, you will always take it. Because when it gets hard, I'm out. If I have a plan B that looks better, I'm always going to take it. That's why marriages end in divorce. Because I don't have to stick with you. I choose to stick with you. I hate this line. I fell out of love. Bull. Because love was never an emotional feeling to begin with. Oh, you mean you fell out of lust? Oh, you, you, you fell out of that, that, that serotonin dopamine feeling that, that your whole brain started going, oh, this is reality. Their toenails really are three inches long. Why are they gnawing on their big toes? So, listen, some of y'all have gross things that y'all, we all do. Ask your spouse. When you, listen, when, <laughs> when you start dating, oh, there's nothing they can do wrong. They're so perfect. Okay? Why? Because we see past their flaws because we are head over heels, which makes no sense because that saying makes no sense, right? Because you walk head over heels. Really, wouldn't you be heels over head? This is, listen, squirrels playing ping pong. These are the thoughts that run through my brain during the day sometimes. That statement makes no sense. Head over heels. I walk head over heels. That's normal. Okay? So if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm in love and I see past all of the, the red flags, then wouldn't I be heels over head? And, and we look past that until we start to, we, 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 we marry them and we go, you really do that? What's wrong with you? Who taught you that? I won't tell you the things that I find strange about my wife because I have been married for 20 years and I want to be married for another 20 years. But there are definitely things that she does that I just look at and I go, what's wrong with you? I know there's things that she looks at. <laughs> Listen, if I'm breathing, there are things that she's looking at me going, what is wrong with you? But, and the whole point of that is this, is that if marriage was about the dream and not the resolve to do life with somebody that you absolutely love, everybody would quit. That's why even in the church, the statistic is the same as the world, because we haven't figured out that the resolve is better than the dream. It's the count the cost part. We, in 20 years, we've never said divorce in our, in our marriage. 
Even when I couldn't say I love you, I never said divorce. And there's been times. And not like just like a night, like, oh, I'm not going to say I love you to her because I'm mad. Like two months. Well, I didn't tell my wife I loved her. But I never said divorce. Because I knew. I may not really like you right now, and Jesus may need to work on me. And I knew as he needed to work on her. But you're not getting out of this that easy. Till death do his part. You're going to have to build to dig a grave to get rid of me. Our resolve was, no matter how bad it is, we're doing this together. With Jesus, have you gotten to a resolve where no matter how bad it is, Jesus, we're doing this together. No matter how crazy it gets, we're doing this together. Because in the worst times, it will lead to some really great times. I've got 10 minutes. <laughs> uh, listen, three, three thoughts. I know, right? Three thoughts, and I'm going to, and I'm going to, I, listen, I, I'm going to give these to you, and I'm going to try to get us out of here before 1115. All right, here we go. Your future or your foundation determines your future. Y'all, if you, if you have a dream, if you, if you feel, I want to be here. And listen, this, this isn't a young man's thought process or a young uh, lady's pro- thought process. You could be 70 years old with a dream. The first pastor I got hired under was like 68 when he hired me. Six months later, he'd, r- he'd been running the church for 20 years. Six months later, he comes to the church. He comes to me first uh, as the staff. Uh, he comes to the staff and he says, by the way, we're retiring. And I'm like, oh, that's so good. 70 years old, you're going to be able to live out the best years of your life. And we're moving to Mexico to start an orphanage. What? Because he knew that age doesn't, she, she knows where the microwave is. It's okay. She, she, don't, don't mind her. She, he knew that age had nothing to do with the vision and dreams and purposes of God. They sold everything, they packed up, they moved to Mexico, and they started an orphanage, and he died doing what he loved, ministering the gospel to orphans in Mexico. And I want to be 80 and still dreaming. I never want to get stagnant. And but listen, the dream sounds great, but could you imagine being 70 and packing up everything you have, moving to a completely different country? <laughs> He's like, please. <laughs> and taking in little, like 70. I'm, listen, I'm 40. I'm not taking in little ones. I'm really close to getting all of mine out. I'm going to be a young person who can go and enjoy his life without little tagalongs. I love you kids, but no. <laughs> it's like, listen, boop, we're going to Hawaii, you know, like without you. He went to Mexico and he said, he did Jesus. Gather the children because they need, to sh- they need to be shown love. The dream, the resolve, your foundation determines your future. If what you can't see, it's what you can't see that determines what you can. Your character defines your action. Listen, this is the, 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 the picture that Jesus gave me in this. Anybody ever gone to uh, a big city and you see the gigantic skyscrapers? I hear Oklahoma City is about to build the tallest uh, skyscraper in America. They're going to uh, beat uh, Chicago and New York. Oklahoma City, I know. It's like they don't, they're known for nothing. They might as well put something there. Um, but think about what it takes to build that. It's what you don't see. 
It's the the 20 stories down so that they can build a hundred and something stories up. And in our life, it's the same way. It's what you don't see that allows us to live out the dream and the purposes and the callings on our life that God has for us. Don't get enamored with somebody who's just charismatic because if they're not deep, they're going to lead you to a place that will walk you right off a cliff. My my, my, uh, challenge to you is build deep down. Get roots. When the storms come here in Camden, any of y'all look out at your trees and get nervous? Oh, yeah. Amen. Listen, we're surrounded by trees. I'm ready. We had one go down and I'm like ready for the rest of them to go down. I'm like, this is how this is how my house is going to get. And I watch them and they're like, yeah. And yet half the time, nothing happens. Why? Because the trees are built to be able to withstand the storms because their roots are deep. Those those buildings, I'll never know what it's like to be at the top of them. Ever. Not going to do it. You can't pain me. We were in Chicago. My wife was like, you know, there's a building where there's like a 360 degree and it leans you out. I'm like, that's good. That's how I would die. Not because it would fall. I would have a heart attack. Because I would get up at the top. It would lean me out and I would start to feel the building move. And I'd be like, no, that's it. Jesus, take the wheel because I'm done. Why can those buildings move like that? Because because they were designed that way. Because the foundation that you don't see is 20 stories down, not just surface level. Your foundation determines your future. So do we build like we are going to face troubles and storms? Because they are promised. And if we don't prepare for them, they will take us out. So, so this is the question I have in this is, what, what do you want in the next five years? Who do you want to be in the next five years? Who do you want to be in the next 10 years? And if you don't start to build that today, you will not see that person five years from now. I used to tell teenagers this all the time, both in school and out of school, um, when I taught for one year. Yeah, that's a funny joke, uh, by the way. But I did teach for a year. Uh, <laughs> uneducated, non-college degree, was teaching. Um, but uh, I would tell them, who do you want to be in five years? And they would say all these things. And I, I want to be this, and I want to be doing that, and I want to be this kind of person. I'm like, great. But if you don't start now, you'll never be that person. Because who you are in five years has nothing to do with five years from now, has everything to do with today. And the foundations that you're building in your life and the choices that you're making today and the the ability to correct the things that are wrong in your life, to allow God to weed out things in your life, for God to be able to speak harsh truths and pour uh, pour out things that you don't need to pour in his purpose, his spirit, and his plan for you. So your foundation determines your future. The second thing is this. Your foundation determines your effectiveness. Proverbs 20, 25 says this, don't trap yourself by making a rash promise to God. What a great wisdom word. Don't trap yourself by making a rash promise to God only later to count the cost. Okay, so I'm gonna raise my hand before I ask the question, but how many have ever said, God, I promise, and then failed? God, I promise this is the last time I'll do that sin only to do it again. God, I promise this is the last time I say those words. God, I promise if you would just, I will. 
And then he shows up, but you don't. See, our foundation determines our effectiveness, and if our foundation is not set right, we will make all the promises in the world to God only to not really count the cost so that we don't actually follow through. So that, that, that proverb isn't to say don't make promises to God. It's to say count the cost before you say that you promise. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. That's to God first. So when I tell God, yes, I will, or no, I won't, that I have set the foundation in my life to be a man or a woman of my word. Not perfect. You're going to make mistakes. But it's, we're just not flippant with our promises to God and our words to God. In order to be effective, we need faith, we need forethought, and we need fortitude. Faith to know that it's God that's in control and that he's the one that's leading and guiding us. Forethought, which is counting the cost. This is what it's going to look like when I make these promises or I, or, or I say these things to God or I, I say I want to change. And then fortitude, that when it gets hard, I'm going to continue doing what I said I was going to do. God, I promise you, I'm going to be the best husband to my wife. Until your wife seems to be nagging on you all the time. Or maybe isn't as physical as you think that she needs to be. That's because it got really real. Because we don't talk about that kind of stuff in church. We just tell guys, just stay frustrated and just stay in your lane. You know, how listen, marriages end because of money and communication. Communication is a big word for y'all don't talk about nothing. Or y'all talk about everything that isn't deep. What's your love language? Oh, Scott, uh, uh, yes, that's the California in you. No, that's the God in me. Because maybe you're trying to give to your wife out of your own love language, and that's why she's not receptive of it. Because guys, we're touchy-feely for 99% of you. Your love language is physical touch. So I'm just, let's, let's be real. It's how God designed us. And it's the conversation that, that, that men and women will have for the rest of their life. I don't feel love because I don't feel like you, you, you care about me in a physical sense, and yet you want me to get X, Y, Z, your list done all the time. What she doesn't realize is she feels like she's nagging you with her list, and she would just like you to step up and do it because her love language is, is, is uh, maybe uh, acts, and, and when you help around the house, it turns her on and makes you attractive. I'll save that for my marriage series. Because I've had to learn the hard ways, by the way. It's not because I'm good. I suck, okay? That's the reality. And uh, I've had to learn the hard way. But 20 years in, we're still here. Do we count the cost? Are we effective with our, our lifestyle? Effective lifestyles come from proper planning. Y'all don't know him. Uh, I've got a, a friend of mine who lives in Washington State. His name's Eddie Statton. He's a pastor. Um, and I've known him for quite a while. When we started to plant this church, and I had a meeting with my past, pastor at the church and, and the elders, the meeting did not go how I wanted it to. Matter of fact, it was probably one of the worst days of my life when it came to planting this church. You want to know about that story? I'll tell you another day. I came home. Pastor Eddie was at our house because we just got done from camp. And he looks at me and he says, Scott, 
we were part of a group called Grace International. That was the, I guess you could call it, denomination at the, uh, that we were under. Um, and we were planting with Ark, which is who we uh, planted with, right? Um, and he said, if Grace doesn't get behind you and Ark doesn't get behind you, if 10 people show up or 80 or 200 people show up, will you start this church and will you pastor it well? And without even thinking, I was like, absolutely. And he goes, then that's the call and the resolve that you need to have. That whether anybody gets behind you or not, it's not about people and it's not about organizations. It's not about denominations. And it's not about if there's 10 or 1,000 in the room. It's about the fact that you were called to do something and you do it with all that's inside of you, not for other people, but for the sake that God called you to it. My effectiveness was built by the foundation that said, if this bombs, I will go out in a flame of glory. But I will go and I will do it. And the problem is, is that so many, listen, COVID hit, I could have shut those doors and walked out, no problem. Love you guys, but I could have. That's the, and many churches did that. You think being, get it, it getting a little hard was going to make this go away? No, because I know what God has called us to. I know the people that God has called us to. I know the community that God has called us to. And I wouldn't want to be anywhere else than right here with y'all doing what we're doing. And if all of you leave until God tells me to, I will be here every Sunday. Well, maybe not here because then we wouldn't be able to have a building. But I'd be preaching, <laughs> leading and, 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 and running what God has called me to because it's not a building he called me to. It's a purpose. What's your, what's your calling? What's your purpose? And that changes season to season. But what are you doing right now that God has called you to? And how are you going to be effective by building a foundation that is deep enough and wide enough to carry the weight that God has given you? If it's to be a mom, be the best mom you possibly can be. If it's to be a dad, be the best dad you can be. At work, be the best worker. Stop complaining. Stop talking bad about your boss. If, if shutting up is the best thing that you can do, then shut up. I know, that doesn't sound so biblical, but it is. Lastly, oh, dang, we're at 11.15. Lastly, though, we got to create the plan. We got to work the plan, okay? Create the plan, work the plan. Hannah, you can come up because I'm going to wrap this up. Um, if you follow football at all, well, I guess not if you follow, if you are in love with football like I am. <laughs> it's the little things that most people don't know. So every NFL team, part of their weekly structure is that the offensive coordinator and the head coach get together and they script the first 15 to 20 plays. And 99% of the time, no matter how well or how bad the game starts, they don't get off of the script. They created a plan. They've watched the film. They've studied their opponent. And they said, this is how we're going to attack our opponent this week. And they create a plan. And if their plan, let's just say, is running, and they come out in the first three plays, they get stuffed. Can't run. Do you think they just abandon ship? No, they keep running the plan. Why? Because at the end of the game, when they get to the fourth quarter, if they've ran their play and their plan right, the defense will be wore out. Now the running game picks up. 
why a running back may only get a two-yard carry over and over and over again in the first and second quarter, but by the end of the fourth quarter, because he's conditioned well, because he's got resolve to stick to the plan. He's getting 10-yard runs. He's breaking loose. Same runner. Could you imagine if we judged him solely based off of his first quarter effectiveness? Oh, man, this running back sucks. Then we get to the fourth quarter. He's 120 yards in with two TDs because he, they didn't just create the plan, they worked the plan. And so many of us in our lives, we create the plan. God, this is what I feel like you're telling me. This is what I want to be. This is, this is the character that I want to instill in myself. And we create the plan. But when we start to work the plan, and the en- listen, hello, the enemy's going to come after you. You think the enemy wants you to be the best version of you that God has called you to be? Absolutely not. His plan is to be the defense to shove it down your throat and to make you work hard for it. Sometimes that's through physical ailment. Sometimes that's through bad relationships. Sometimes that's through financial despair. Sometimes that's through uh, mental health and anxiety and stress and worry. But you've got to create the plan and you've got to work it. And if it doesn't work right away, stick with it. Stick to the blueprint. Lean into God. So I wrote down these questions. And if you want them later, you can can ask them for me. But these are some questions that I came up with about creating the plan. Is what are your goals? And what is God calling you to? And how will you achieve them? What do you need to change about yourself in your life? And what do you need to add to yourself or your life? What do you need in your life and who do you need? We talked about community last week. What thoughts do you need to take captive and which ones to hold on to and which ones to let go? And then the last question is, what are your first steps? Because to create a plan and not to step out and work it means absolutely nothing. How many have ever created a workout plan? <laughs> How many have stuck to it after five weeks? You know, like, that's the thought process. I want to lose weight. So I create a plan. And I work out the first week and my legs hurt like heck. So I quit. Life is not worth that pain. God, I want your character. So I get in your word. So I start praying real prayers. My friends start to make fun of me. The enemy comes against me. My car breaks down. Didn't happen when I didn't try to live like you, live for you. I'll just, I'll just give up. God says, create the plan, but you got to work the plan. What's, what's your first step? Who do you want to be? keep stepping. Oh, the enemy came after you? That means you're doing something right, by the way. When the enemy comes after you, that means you're, you're, you're working towards the right direction. If everything is good, I always question, God, am I where I need to be? Like, this, is, this doesn't feel right. 
And sometimes God says, nope, it's good. You've worked really hard. This is a good, peaceful moment in your life. And sometimes he says, you need to get to work. What's my next step? In order to be effective in working the plan, you have to trust God. You have to listen to God. You have to spend time with God, and you have to allow God to transform your life. Romans 12, 1 through, uh, 12, 1 through 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, not just this physical flesh and blood. It, when he says bodies, he literally means your, your, your whole being. But it's not just about going to church on Sunday. It's about who you are on Wednesday. It's not just are you worshiping in the good times, but are you worshiping through your worry? As a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In other words, it's your lifestyle worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that the testing you may, uh, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. When we create a plan, we tell our brain, I'm following Jesus' way. And the flesh will say, this is different. Let's make it, maybe for you, it's I'm going to stop cussing. It will make it practical. Maybe for you, it's I'm going to spend less time watching certain shows because they invoke thoughts and feelings in me. Maybe it's when I'm at work, I'm not going to gossip. Literally, I'm just going to shut my mouth and walk away. I'm not going to entertain. Well, did you hear that so-and-so? I can't believe that so-and-so did this. Maybe the fight is with your own thought process. So you need to find ways to invoke God's word into your mind. Because the enemy is using your thought process to go, you'll never be better. You'll always be who you once were. You know what you do? You put reminders in your phone of God's word. Write them on sticky notes and put them on your mirror so that when you wake up, you see promises of God in your life. But you can't just create the plan. You got to work it. It's not an overnight success. It's a daily grind of faith. And before you know it, listen, you may have started over here and you may feel like you're over here, but you're like, I haven't gone very far because where I want to go is there. But all you got to do is look back and go, wow, I'm not there anymore. Count the cost. Count the cost. Don't be the builder that builds a foundation and cannot build the rest of the house. God, who do you want me to be? If you, if you want those questions that God gave me, Come see me. I'll, I'll, I'll let you write them down off of my, note, uh, my notes. Will you pray with me? And listen, this isn't one of those messages where it's like called because, listen, I, it, I, listen, I could emotionally make all of us respond. Oh, I want to count the cost. I'm a wretched failure, God. No. Because that wouldn't be counting the cost. That would be making you emotionally respond. Here's what I want to challenge you with. Go home and think about this. With where I'm at in my life and where I want to go, am I counting the cost of living for Jesus and what it looks like to sit in his will for my life? And are there things that I need to get rid of and are there things that I need to add to 
So God, I pray that you would bring remembrance of this message to each and every one of us. That at some point this week, we would sit down and we would look at our life and we would take stock in it and say, am I where I want to be? And not am I doing what I want to do, but am I doing what God is wanting me to do? Am I where God wants me to be? Is my character in line with who God wants me to be? Am I showing the world a good example and a clear picture of a, a life that, that has been completely changed by God? Not perfect. I'm not trying to be holier than. I'm just trying to be holy like you. So God, help us to count the cost. Whether we're, whether we're 10 years old or 90 years old, it doesn't matter. You have got dreams for us. You've got, you've, got, you've got a purpose for us, and so give us the resolve to live it out no matter what anybody thinks or says. Help us to dig down into our spirit and live for the glory of God. Help us to count the cost, to make decisions that we know the enemy is not going to like, and help us to push through when the enemy comes after us. Our foundation defines our future. Our foundation determines our effectiveness. And so we've got to create the plan, God, and we've got to work the plan. And I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to help us. Reveal your word to us. Speak to us. Encourage, equip, challenge, and change us, God. I pray this week we'd have opportunity to speak your truth to somebody, to live your life and to live our story out in front of this world. We love you, Jesus. We thank you and give you glory and honor. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you.